Last week we began a series of messages on Not My World, and we learned, among other things, that we're exiles and strangers here on earth. We don't belong. We are of necessity in conflict here, because this isn't quite right. This isn't quite our place. In fact, it's not just an uncomfortableness or confrontation kind of setup here. We are called to be salt and light, remember? We are called to be the influencers, uh, to be change agents for God, if you, if you will. Um, and uh, as we are being changed, then, then uh, we are to help other people become changed. But there is a problem, that we are too much like this world. And we talked about that. We talked about which way the influence seems to be going. That it seems at times that the world is exerting greater influence upon us than upon the world, than we, than we would give upon the world. And, and when that happens, we just kind of fade. Uh, we just become like the chameleon. Where, where are they? Where are the Christians? You know, what difference are they making? And uh, we need to be much stronger. We need to be much more uh, courageous. And it begins by knowledge. It begins by awareness. And so today we want to talk about that knowledge. We want to talk about that awareness of, of who we are and what we're to be about. And the topic is worldviews today. Now as we begin this study of Not My World, I want to give you kind of an idea of where we're going. So uh, you'll see up here on the screen uh, things that we're going to be doing. As we live in this this world that is not uh, aware of God, this pagan world, really, and yet have an impact for God as his salt and light, we're going to be looking at several issues, big issues. First of all, we're going to talk about living in a world where truth is relative, where truth supposedly changes. Issue number one, competing worldviews. And then we're going to talk about living in a world where anything goes. You, know, you can do whatever you want. And talk specifically about sexual immorality, issue number two. And included in that, of probably great interest to a lot of people, and of great intrepidation for the preacher, the topic of the gay agenda. And then the third week, living in a world where life is cheap. And uh, we're going to be talking about abortion, euthanasia, genocide, uh, all those places where we see in life that life is just considered expendable. It doesn't matter. And then we're going to talk about living in a world where science rules, and really the issue of science and evolution, and, and uh, that whole great debate that's going on, and, and we're losing. We've lost uh, our schools to that already. Um, and then finally, living in a world where money is the ultimate solution. If you have money, then everything else is okay. And we're going to talk about issue number five, materialism. So you can see, these are, are heavy-hitting topics. <laughs> these are big issues. And these are real issues. This is where we live day by day. And we've got to get this right. Now, the issue for this morning, then, is competing worldviews. And we see the competition between worldviews all the time. Uh, we see the student who's ridiculed by the professor in her science class because she says she believes in a creator, somebody designing the creation of the world. And the professor openly says to that student, you must be ignoring the evidence. There's just no evidence for that. And puts her down. We see it in a federal judge that, 
that after the voters of a state vote for the Defense of Marriage Act, you know, they say, this is the definition of marriage. It's between a man and a woman. It's always been that way. It shall always be that way. That one federal judge can say, oh, sorry, that's unconstitutional. Sorry, that, that is discriminatory. We'll just strike that down. And thankfully, that's still to be debated in our Supreme Court. Or maybe a more personal example. Uh, we were at a preacher's meeting the other day, and my friend Mike, who preaches over Calvary Christian Church in Burke, said that he was kind of walking around the hallways one time before church, and he heard a couple of the younger people talking, and one of the young ladies made this comment, not knowing the preacher could overhear what she said. She said, I don't believe the Bible. I don't listen to the Bible. That's an ancient book. It was written two to 3,000 years ago, and things have changed a lot since then, so I don't listen to the Bible. What is a worldview? Well, the dictionary says a worldview is two things. First of all, it is the overall perspective from which one sees and interprets the world. Secondly, it can be a collection of beliefs about life and the universe that are held by an individual or by a group. So it's the way you look at things. It also could be your collection of beliefs about what you have observed. Basically, the worldview that you have is a framework from which you view reality. It's all of your background, all the things you've learned, all the things you've perceived to this point, and you've got this view, this perspective, and you're interpreting what happens. How do I make sense of what I see? Your worldview, then, is the lens through which you look at the world. It colors your perception. It shapes how you live. Basically, it's how we see things and how we choose to live because of what we see. Now, what are the possible worldviews out there? There's many of them. I don't think we could possibly name them all. And they draw different conclusions. There are humanists, secularists, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, New Agers, Deists, postmodernists, nihilists, naturalists, Christians, Jews. There's all kinds of things. And all of them have a very different perspective, a different worldview. Sometimes their views are diametrically opposed to one another. Different worldviews lead to different conclusions, sometimes radically different conclusions based on your worldview. If you don't believe me, think of a news item that came out this week. Mohammed and Mwazi look like any other middle-class Londoner for the last few years until he decided to go back to Syria and become part of ISIS, and he has become Jihadi John. He's the guy with the mask, you can just barely see his eyes, and he's beheading Americans and Japanese and others that they have captured and kidnapped for ISIS. His worldview is having an impact on this world, and it's in a very negative and deadly way. So why is knowing what our worldview is so important? Well, because you may not have ever thought about it. You may, in fact, be embracing a worldview that was kind of put upon you, one given to you, not because you sorted things out, not because you went through it for yourself, and you may not even know why you believe what you believe and why you do what you do. You're just kind of going with the flow. It may be a good flow, it may be a bad flow, but you're just being influenced by others around you instead of influencing others for Christ. And if we don't know 
what we stand for, then we're liable to fall for anything, aren't we? If we are to live in a world and be salt and light, then you better know what you stand for. You better know what you believe. And you better have a firm grasp of your worldview. Last week we were reminded that God put us here to be salt and light, to lost people who desperately need him. But if we just blindly accept the worldview of people around us, we'll be what Jesus described when he said that. He said, be careful that you're not salt that's lost its saltiness. Be careful that you're not light that's hidden, light that's lost its brightness. Why don't you watch a short video with me this morning? Let's cue that up, guys, please. Wow. That guy must hyperventilate a lot. Does the truth matter? Worldviews are by necessity in conflict with each other. Opposing viewpoints cannot both be true. One's true, the other's not. Many people in this country, however, would disagree with that. They'd say, yeah, you can have whatever truth you want. doesn't matter if it opposes somebody else's truth. You have a right to your own set of truth, your own set of facts. You believe whatever you want to believe. Now, many people are what we would describe as postmodernists, whether they put that title on themselves or not. Well, postmodernism is probably the most pervasive, fundamental worldview in our culture today. It actually incorporates a lot of these other worldviews, and it's a view that truth is relative. Postmodernists has the notion that everyone can decide for themselves what is true, what is right. And you might hear them say things like this, well, that's true for you, but not for me. Or they might say, truth is very personal. You have your truth, and I have mine. And so, stay off my truth. Let me believe whatever I want to believe is really the, the bottom line. Well, let me ask you then this morning, does the truth ever change? Can the truth change? Some people think it does. They think truth has to be adjusted to, to the times. They think truth changes whenever society changes. What do you think? Does truth change? Can truth change? Are the postmodernists right? Does truth have to be adjusted and honed and tweaked from time to time? No. <laughs> Emphatically, no. Truth is truth. It will always be truth. And how can I say that so confidently? Well, I can say it because God himself is unchanging. God never changes. He is already perfect. He is already complete. There is no reason for him to change. He needs no improvements. He needs no adjustments. He embodies truth. So if God never changes, then it follows that the truth he created never changes either. Why should it? Why would it need to? What he made way back when then, uh, in that time when he created this world, when he created the principles, when he created the truth of this world, was perfectly thought out. It was perfect in its design. The only wrinkle to the whole equation is that God gave man free will. That's been the problem ever since. Because he gave us free will, we have messed up our thinking, we've messed up our actions, our behavior, we've messed up our relationships with him and with one another. He made man so that we could choose what we wanted to do with our lives. But the laws and the principles that God created for this world are unchanging. You can violate them, but you cannot change them. 
You can break the rules by disobeying them, but you cannot actually break the rules because those laws are inviolable. Even though man sinned and rebelled against God, we now live in a foreign creation that longs for things to get right again. The principles God created for this world still hold true today. Truth is still truth. And that means that what God called right is right. And what God called wrong is wrong. The good is still good. That evil is still evil. That sin is still sin. Truth is still true. And what is true today has always been true and will always be True. That is our worldview as believers. Now, what is a biblical worldview? What difference does it make? Well, a biblical worldview is a worldview based on the Bible. It is a worldview based on God's Word, upon God's revelation of Himself and of His will and of this world and what it is about. Dr. Del Tackett who is with Focus on the Family's Truth Project, said a biblical worldview is based on the infallible Word of God. When you believe that the Bible is entirely true, then you allow it to be the foundation of everything you say and do. If you believe this is the Word of God, then you have a foundation on which to build your life. And you would think that all church-going people would have a biblical worldview, but that is not the case. Sadly, that is not the case. Do you have a biblical worldview? Let me ask you a few questions. They were questions posed by George Barna in a survey. And he asked a bunch of questions of believers to see what they really believed, what they really felt, what was part of their worldview. Look at these questions. Do absolute moral truths exist? Is absolute truth defined by the Bible? Did Jesus Christ live a sinless life? Is God the all-powerful, all-knowing creator of the universe? Is salvation a gift from God that cannot be earned? Is Satan real? Does a Christian have a responsibility to share his faith in Christ with other people? Is the Bible accurate in all of its teachings? These are things that the Bible claims of itself, that God has claimed for himself. If we have a biblical worldview, then we would have to say, these things are true. This is right. This is what the Bible teaches. This is what I believe. Did you answer yes to all of these questions? Do you know that when they asked this question, only 9% of supposedly born-again believers said yes to all of them? 9%. This is not the church we used to be part of. This is not the, the Christianity that we maybe grew up with, or that we assumed was true today. This worldview thing has gotten all out of whack. And people are believing things within the church that have little uh, reality uh, and, and uh, correspondence to what God has said in his word. How we perceive reality is very important. As Christians, we need to see the world through a biblical lens. We must see it truthfully as God sees it and make it known, makes it known to us through the Word of God. And here's something else that's very important for you to know. When we talk about the Word of God, we're not only talking about this book. We're talking about Jesus. We're talking about Jesus, the Word of God, made flesh, lived among us, showed us God, not only made words, not only gave messages, but showed us who God is by Jesus coming to us. He is the ultimate Word of God. And Jesus made this exclusive claim that's been alluded to in our video this morning 
that I am the way, the truth, and the life. What an exclusive claim that was. He set himself apart from everyone else that had ever lived. And he said, you want to know truth? Look at me. If you want to know the way, look at me. If you want to know what life is, look at me. No one comes to the Father. That is God, except through me. Now I want you to notice what the Word of God says about Jesus elsewhere. In John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. John says this, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Hang on to that phrase, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning Him. He cries out saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me is surpassed, has surpassed me because He was before me. From the fullness of His grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Jesus was the embodiment of grace and truth. He was the fullness of grace and truth. You want to know what grace and truth is, what it looks like when you bring those two things together? Look at Jesus. He kept the two in perfect balance. John's Gospel brilliantly illustrates this about Jesus. Remember back in John 4, maybe you've read, where Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well at Sychar. She was a woman that was living a life of sin. She'd had five husbands. She's now with the sixth man, who's not her husband. And she wants to get into a religious debate with Jesus. And Jesus said, well, hold on a second. I know who you are. I know the truth of your life. And he confronts her, or confronts her with the reality of her life. His design, his desire is not to condemn her. His desire is to help her see the truth so that she can be saved because the next thing he does is he offers his grace. She goes and brings a whole village out to him. They stay with them a couple days and a bunch of people from that village believe they put their faith in Jesus to be their Savior. The truth and grace are illustrated wonderfully in that event. John chapter 8, a second woman is brought before Jesus. She's brought in condemnation by the Pharisees who have caught this woman and some guy in adultery. And she, she is brought before Jesus, thrown down at his feet and said, what are you going to do about her? She was caught in the very act of adultery and the law of Moses says we're supposed to stone her to death. What do you say? Jesus knew the truth. He knew what she had done. He knew... Not only her truth, but the truth of everyone accusing her. And John tells us that what he did, he didn't answer that question right away. He looked around at the people accusing her. He wrote something in the sand. Was it their sins? Was it the things that they were hiding that they didn't want to acknowledge? I don't know. But then he looked at them, whoever is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And beginning with the oldest they started putting down their stones and left. Eventually, the woman was left there alone before Jesus. And Jesus said, well, where are your accusers? And she says, there isn't one. And he says, well, neither do I accuse you. I'm not here to condemn you, but go and sin no more. Grace and truth illustrated in the life of Jesus over and over again. This world desperately needs the truth. This world desperately needs God's grace. 
And this world desperately needs Jesus because He is the epitome. He is the embodiment of grace and truth. And now, we're here. We're here as His followers. He's ascended back into heaven. He's given His Spirit to us and He is enabling and empowering us to be His grace and truth in this world. But what kind of grace and truth are we offering? Not anywhere close to what He offered. We can't help this world with truth if we haven't found the truth ourselves. We can't help this world find grace and truth if we are not holding on to grace and truth ourselves. We can't help the world find Jesus if we are not holding on to Jesus ourselves. If we live this life of of passivity and of of ignorance and of chameleon-likeness to this world, There is no grace and truth in our lives. Let me quote Del Tackett again. He says, If we don't really believe the truth of God and live it, then our witness will be confusing and misleading. Most of us go through life not recognizing that our personal worldviews have been deeply affected by the world. Through the media and other influences, the secularized American view affects our thinking more than we realize. And then he quotes Colossians 2.8 that says, We are then taken captive through hollow, hollow and deceptive philosophies which depend on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. We, we become like the world and our witness is shot. Tackett goes on, However, by diligently learning, applying, and trusting God's truths in every area of our lives, we can begin to develop a deep, comprehensive faith that will stand against the unrelenting tide of our culture's non-biblical ideas. And if we can capture and embrace more of God's worldview and trust it with unwavering faith, then we begin to make the right decisions and form the appropriate responses to questions on abortion and same-sex marriage and cloning and stem cell research and even media choices. Did you see the list? We go on and on. Once the worldview is right, then we can judge rightly. And in the end, it is our decisions and actions, he says, that reveal what we really believe. Do you remember what was read from uh, Romans 12, 2? In David's communion meditation this morning, the Word of God says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but by be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is worldview stuff, that we allow the truth of God's word to transform our thinking and change our behavior. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way to God and eternal life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Jesus is the embodiment of grace and truth. He calls sinners like us to repentance because he confronts us with the truth of our lives that we are sinners in need of a Savior. He calls us to get our hearts right with God and then he provides the way to life and peace with God. And now he has sent us out as his witnesses to his grace and truth. We are sent out to share the good news of peace with God received only through faith in his Son, Jesus. John 1.17, verse we read earlier, says that the law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Austin Mansfield 
uh, noted something that kind of caught my attention. He says, think about the difference between those, between Moses and Jesus. If you compare the two, you'll find that when the law came down, 3,000 people died. You know, when he came down the, the, the mountain with the Ten Commandments, he found them in sin. And 3,000 people died as a result of God's judgment on them. But when the Holy Spirit and God's grace came down on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, 3,000 people were saved. That's the difference between law and grace. It's the difference between death and life. It's an, a life or death difference. The law results in death and punishment, but grace results in life and peace. So Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the embodiment of grace and truth. And Jesus' followers must be full of grace and truth. We must first know the truth and hold on to the truth. We must walk in the truth. Otherwise, there's no difference between us and anyone else in the world. We cannot share the truth that we don't possess. As Jesus' followers, we must also embody His grace as we share the truth with this sin-sick world held captive by the evil one. You are grace and truth, and so am I. You and I are God's grace and truth to this lost world. And if they're going to see Jesus, then they're going to see Jesus through us. You and I must live by the truth and walk in the truth. We must be filled with His grace and share His grace freely. You are a witness to God's truth. You are a witness to God's grace. And so am I. Our calling, our commission as followers of Christ, is to be full of grace and truth, just as Jesus was. And we must be uh, strong. We must be diligent. We must be courageous in a world full of different views and opinions and lifestyles. We must speak the truth in love, but speak the truth nonetheless. And we must demonstrate a grace that makes it so people can hear the truth and they can come to know Jesus. Otherwise, the lost people of this world will never receive the grace of our merciful God. Would you pray with me? Father, our hearts are saddened, even more than saddened, crushed. When we think of where your church has fallen, not just your church, Big C, but Little Church, New Hope. Little Church, me. When we have failed to be grace and truth in this world, when we have failed the truth of your word, when we have failed to display your grace, when we have been quick to criticize and to condemn from a position of hypocrisy. We acknowledge your truth. We acknowledge that your Son is the way, the truth, and the life. And we acknowledge that you have called us to be grace and truth in this world today. And I pray for this church, little c, New Hope Christian Church, this church, little c, me, my brothers and sisters, and your church, Big C. 
will become grace and truth to this lost world. Amen.